Hello, family and friends. This is At Home with Linda and Drew Scott. Welcome home. Hello, hello. Welcome. It's been so great talking to you guys, getting to know you guys, because you've been sending us feedback, and we love that. Remember, keep sending at feedback at athomepodcast.net or on social media. Mm -hmm. And today we have a message from April Rodriguez. She says, love, love, love the podcast. Thank you so much for sharing all your stories with us. I really enjoyed the episode with Howie Mandel and hearing his stories. And there were... (laughs) Wait, what were we... Babies were... I still can't do it. You still can't do it, no. I've been practicing every night in bed. (laughs) That's very romantic. (laughs) Uh, what else did she <laughs> She said she already knew about things like the candy bar and the pool, uh, but she didn't know about him doing the voice of Gizmo. If you don't know what we're talking about with the candy bar and the pool, then you, you need, need to, to go listen. listen to Howie's episode. <laughs> Disgusting, absolutely. But, but hilarious. So Linda April says she knows you're a big Disney fan and she wants to know who your favorite Disney princess is. Hers is Belle. Mm, mine is also Belle. And Mulan. Ooh. Drewlon. Drewlon. <laughs> would you love Belle so much that you would do what April and her husband did though? They had a Beauty and the Beast themed wedding. Yes. Which, and she even sent photos. It looks amazing. Absolutely awesome. So fun. It's kind of like JD and Annalise's wedding where they did the themed, it had to be a movie character. Yeah. But this is for the ultimate Disney fan. I think I would have to do, what Disney prince do I look like? Maybe I'll come trotting in on my horse and be your knight in shining armor. Yeah, you can do that, but I'll also have my own horse. So we can ride together. Into the sunset. Into the sunset. Holding hands. And horse tails. (laughs) (laughs) A different adventure, aside from running off into the sunset on our horses holding hands. uh, Linda just did her first half marathon. Hardcore. Ouch. Hardcore parkour. Yeah, it hurt so bad. I don't know when I'll do it again. Mentally or physically? Both. I uh, I thought that I would be able to not train. I just thought, oh, 13.1 miles. That's not so bad. That's just um, 12 more than one mile. <laughs> I, I did not train more than an hour. Oh my gosh, really? <laughs> and I'm still hurting. I thought you I were- I would not recommend it. It is dangerous. I'm lucky that I didn't hurt myself. Well, hold on a second. I would recommend a marathon if you like marathon. I wouldn't recommend doing a marathon without training. Oh, I would never recommend a marathon, period. This was a half marathon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, per- personally, I have no desire. I mean, I know running can be hard on the knees. Um, I think there are other ways, you know, to get your exercise than pounding the pavement for long periods. That just sounds treacherous and long. So but how, how long the was- fact that it was at Disney made everything better. Right, so that's That's cool. the only reason why I did it. So you're running along and then what, you had like Goofy handing you water and you well, had Mickey you, cheering you you're on. You're in the happiest place on earth. So I I walked for a bit. I walked for a bit. That's a walking job. <laughs> <laughs> did you stop at any churro trucks? Oh, I can't say. I think you probably <laughs> did. Every Every mile that you go, you need one churro. So, so is Boy, it? Is I it had true? everyone churroing me on. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, if asking? I was there, if I was there, I would have held churros instead of water at the side for you. So, is it through Disney? Like you're going through Disneyland? Mm-hmm. Okay, I thought maybe it was in the in the surrounding neighborhoods. Yeah. That's very cool, though. I think that's fun. And at the end of the day, you made it, and mm-hmm. that goes to show you what good shape you're in. 
Because you are in good shape. Even well, though you didn't also, train running, you're in good shape. Also, I have great friends. I, I don't think I would have been able to do it myself. Yeah, actually, I think anybody doing a marathon or something like that, something that's a longer period of time, you're trying to motivate yourself to get healthy. If you do it with someone, it will make it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. I wish I could have been there. I would have been there, but I was filming. You just said you would never run, so. No, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I don't know if I like the idea of a marathon, but I could probably do a half marathon. I've done 10K. But um, my whole thing is I don't like the idea of how long it takes and I know that my knees can get bad. So I would try other things. Like if there's a really warm, warm pool, I would do, I would swim laps. There, That's my race. All right, that's fair. So I will come to the next one. If I wasn't filming the day before and the day after, I would come and join you next time. All right. No, here's an adventure. This is a different type of adventure aside from a marathon. Uh, we were talking with this week's guests, Ashlyn and Philippe Cousteau. They are amazing environmentalists. They travel the world. And we've been talking about doing an adventure double date. So we were talking about maybe, you know, going to the pyramids, doing something in Egypt or... A shipwreck dive. Yes. That's what I really want to do. Which would be amazing. Just something to experience the beauty of the world. There's so much beauty out there and so many places we've never seen. I think that would be the ultimate double date. Yeah. And... I think the ultimate double date would be one where we are raising awareness for the environment or um, doing something good. I'm going to lock this in. All right. This summer. Let's put it in our calendar. We're doing this. Pinky swearing. I'm trying Pinky to reach you past swearing. the mic. Oh, got we it. We touched pinkies. Yeah. Just a tip. <laughs> Why don't we jump right in? This is our chat with Ashlyn and Philippe Cousteau. Enjoy. Okay, if ADT wasn't professional enough, now ADT installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. I mean, what are they going to do next? They're, they're going to start a country singing career. I would listen to a country band named ADT. Also, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with my Google Nest doorbell. Just saying. Your Google Nest doorbell? I said our. He said my. Everybody check that. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to control my ADT smart devices, like my lights, my locks. <laughs> my security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. And I like to say, hey, Google, to get started. Listen, I said ours. I'm all about ours, not <laughs> mine. Help protect what matters most with all this, plus 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. I can feel the love bouncing off these walls Shining through the windows Reflecting like a rainbow That's where we belong Yeah, it feels like home Sing. You can sing. That's true. Oh, really? can yeah. sing. Well, can you give us a little taste of something? Oh, dear oh. God. Oh, no. Let's, let's each do this. <laughs> we each have five seconds of something to sing, starting with Ashlyn. Go. <laughs> Wait a second. Okay. No excuses. Think of me. Think of me fondly when we've said goodbye. What? Remember me. Yeah. I'm not going to I'm going to try. Yeah, I mean, 
So it's like, I, cause I, I did it for fun growing up. And then when I went to college, I wanted to get in early acceptance. And I found out that they had a, um, uh, an opera major. Oh, and yes. even though I had never sang opera in my life, I was like, well, if I get in early acceptance, then I can goof off my senior year. So I did it and I sang and they accepted, they accepted um, eight women and, and eight men. And I was one of them. Oh my gosh. So, and then I lasted one semester and I hated it. <laughs> I had no idea. Not, not knowing anything about opera, yeah. but having a naturally amazing voice, did you just sing what you thought opera singers would do? Like, did you just I went to like a... Kind of, yes, actually. My best word. Did you wear giant Viking horns? That's what I should have done. That's what I thought probably in braided my hair. Yeah. No, but I went to like a voice coach and was like, okay, this is, I need to get in. She was like, well, do you know any foreign languages? I said, no. She's like, okay, well, let's pick one in French and Italian and, and then we'll do a show tune. Oh, so you had to sing operatic in different in a languages. Different language. Yeah, yeah. But Which we, actually is a lot no, easier no because, big deal. yeah, yeah you just learn the sounds. Have, when you have a French person in the audience, you don't speak French, and then they're like, you're in, you're in a <laughs> That's terrible. terrible. And you're just oh my like, God. Les poissons. They throw a baguette the at you. <laughs> Which, the thing is about baguettes is after a day or two, they get really hard. So yes. you don't want you an don't angry French person throwing baguettes at you. A week old baguette thrown at you, actually hurts more than a brick. That's true. <laughs> do you That's speak, true. well, Cousteau, French, do you speak French? I do. You do. Uh, and Ashlyn is learning. I'm working on it. Yes, she's learning. I'm taking lessons. Yes. Nice. From who? Uh, from, from a French teacher. Okay, so this is like your French sensei. Yes. Yeah, and French, she French teaches sensei. me. She French teaches French. me all the bad stuff, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. See, that's um, what you have. So when we were growing up, our best friend uh, was is still is Iranian, uh, Persian, and so growing up, they had these big family get-togethers, and to impress his his grandparents that came over from Iran and um, the whole family that he taught us to count to 10 in Farsi. But what we didn't realize when we went to this big family function, literally 50 people, he taught us the most vulgar swear words that he could possibly think of. So in front of his grandmother and everybody, Jonathan and I get up there and we're like, eh, eh, eh. Um, I'm not gonna say it because they're really bad for anybody who's, who speaks Farsi. Who might Farsi. speak Farsi, yes. And it, it, it was awful and they all gasped and his mom slapped me across the face. And then, Wait, really? Yeah, and then they saw him giggling in the corner and realized that he put us up to this. And I, I was thinking at first when she stopped, I'm like, did I pronounce three wrong? <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. So, how, so what, what are you learning? Are, are you getting phrases or still just well, learning? Well, 50% of any language is the bad words. So she's yeah. learning that. That is important. Perhaps. I so fully condone that. Or just like Especially in France, like, um, where everybody yeah. swears about everything. Or like for the ways to say, um, like a hangover. So in a, like in, in true French uh, ways, the you don't just say, oh, I'm hungover. You, you say like, my face is like a piece of wood. Because like how poetic is that? Great right. expressions. Like that, yes. you know, leave, or, it, leave it to the French yeah, exactly. to be poetic like that. You're not just going to say, oh, you're, you're beautiful. You're going to say, yeah. the rivers part when you come within <laughs> distance <laughs> of my love. The roses wilt in jealousy. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Do you speak other languages aside from French? Spanish is rusty, but Spanish is not, not too bad. Um, Philippe has an ear for languages. Yeah, I love languages. They're always fascinating me. Whenever I go to a new country or even returning to a to place I've been, I'm always trying to learn like a, a handful of phrases. I just think it's respectful, like mm -hmm. thank you and, and goodbye and how much, where's the bathroom? 
uh, can I have another glass of wine? You know, critical terms like that. Critical, especially. Can I have another glass of wine? Yeah. Yes, I ended on the most important. Long ago, the un cerveza por favor. Exactly. Important. I don't even fear, but I had to. For a guy that doesn't drink beer, it's important. Exactly. You still need to know how to say it. You know, the frustrating thing for me is that so Linda speaks Cantonese. And then her mom and one of her sisters and her brother speak Mandarin, Cantonese, and, my dad, yeah. and, and, and her dad. Mm-hmm. And, like they all speak and multiple Vietnamese languages. and like Hakka and oh my yeah. God. Oh, that's amazing. I, can, I barely speak English. I can speak Scottish. That's just a lot of headbutting and drinking Guinness. <laughs> yes, it is. But, and um, fun puns. And, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I got banjoed last yeah. night. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Yes. It yeah. means you. I think I know. Oh, yeah. I thought it meant something else. No. Basically. <laughs> So this it is a great term. Like that. It could be, but this is a great rule of thumb. Basically, in Scotland, if you add an ed onto almost anything, it means that you got really drunk. So banjoed, um, googled. Uh, oh my god! Yeah. Like, <laughs> any, basically anything. I got googled, uh, and you'd be like, "Oh, me too, Paul. I absolutely, absolutely banjoed last night." It's all right. Oh, oh my god, hey. that was very good. I, I did. I went to school in Scotland for four years. So um, oh wow, St Andrews. So uh, were you sober for your exams? Because that's probably not going to happen. We always tell. I was like, I remember about like two thirds of university, maybe half yeah. of university. Yeah, it was ridiculous. I lived with an Englishman, a Scotsman, and an Irishman for two years. Oh my god! Which sounds like the beginning of a bad joke, yes. and it and it was. I mean, because was it fighting nonstop? It was just fighting, Actually, yes. loving, and lots of drinking, and it was. Uh, Somebody got thrown out a window one night. Oh my goodness! Oh, wow. Someone got right? yeah hit by a car. One more. I mean, they all survived. P.S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a tap by a car. Yeah. So in, in Scotland, uh, I was going to go to university in Scotland as well at one point because I, I actually, I'm a Scottish citizen and I have my EU. And so education is free for locals out there, yes. university level uh, education. So I thought, great, I'll go. But then I realized you have to live there for two years. At least at the time, you had to live there for two years first and then you're eligible. Uh, That's so, the issue. I have my French passport, but I lived in the US. So when I went there, I still had to pay, which is still way cheaper. Yeah. Than what Americans pay to go to university here. I mean, it was but that like, must have been an experience to be international for so great for I your mean, education. I spent a lot of my life living part time in Europe, uh, anyway, and in France. But being in Scotland was was just a fantastic place for university. And so, what did you study, and how did that get you into um, everything that you do for climate change and environmental efforts? You know, for me, growing up in a family, so my grandfather. Um, was Jacques Cousteau. He filmed and, and directed, he co-invented scuba diving 75 years ago. He was kind of a pioneer of, of ocean conservation. Uh, my father, Philippe Sr., uh, also filmed, did documentaries, was also a pioneer, uh, world-renowned environmental advocate. So growing up in that family, I wanted to find a way to continue that legacy, uh, essentially as a storyteller, which is what they were, not marine biologists, we're not scientists, um, really about telling stories and filmmakers, etc. And so um, I decided that the best way for me to understand about people and society in the world was to understand where we came from, and so I studied history. Uh, so I have a, a degree in history from St. Andrews and, and really looked at that as a way to understand politics and, and war and environmental history and social history and what makes people tick. If you want to change the world, I think you have to understand how the world works to begin with. And totally. understanding how the world works, um, the, the best way to do that is understand where we came from and what our motivations and how everything ended up the way it is. And so history was my focus and uh, came out of university uh, and, and kind of started on that journey. I sort of feel that your dad and your grandpa were ahead of their time. I really do. I mean, they, they sort of laid the path for so much of what we're passionate about and so many of the younger generation, too, are passionate about. And so, uh, as well, too, you were telling me a story, and, and maybe recap it for me, um, that you were, it was a prince 
somewhere over uh, overseas, out east, had, had asked you to come in because his concern was there's new development they want to do, but the coral reefs have all been dying, and if something wasn't done to protect them, they would be extinct within a couple of years. Yeah, actually, uh, in the Red Sea, mm-hmm. um, in a place that's gotten a lot of press recently for um, less savory things, unfortunately, but uh, uh, in Saudi Arabia. Um, and the crown prince right now is a diver, he's a scuba diver, and they're looking to develop tourism in the country. And what's interesting about the Red Sea, you know, we, here's the thing is, is Ashton and I both are big believers in motivating people through stories of hope as opposed to stories of doom and gloom. Yeah. And there's a lot of doom and gloom out there about the environment. You know, we've all heard about the oceans and, you know, the, the coral reefs are collapsing and all this other stuff that just seems overwhelming. So as because ocean it advocates, because yeah. it is, well, and it terrifying. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting is that the Red Sea in particular, the northern part of the Red Sea, it has evolved over millennia to uh, the corals there to adapt to um, warm water. And so they're not bleaching or dying out like they mm. are in other parts of the world that, where it's getting too warm, like the Great Barrier Reef. Mm. And so um, there's a lot of research that's going on right now, particularly in, the, in Saudi Arabia, uh, around looking at that coral and why that coral is surviving in really hot water mm. yeah. when other corals are dying. And could this be hold the, the, the key to the survival of corals on Earth, which And, and just wanted to kind clarify of important. with that too, from your end, because you're, you're the expert, but warm, like, like hotter water, we're literally just talking like a couple of degrees, right? Yeah. So the, the, you know, as climate change continues to warm uh, predominantly the ocean, right? The ocean is what drives our, uh, our climate. The ocean is a, is a heat sink, it's a carbon sink, it absorbs a lot of that. So as the oceans warm, um, animals that live within pretty narrow ranges of temperatures um, suffer, right? So corals have a, have a high, on the high end, their typical temperature range is like, you know, 78, 79 degrees is about as much as they can tolerate. But now the oceans are starting to be regular temperatures of like 80, 81, 82. And that doesn't seem like a lot, but it's enough to kill them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, interestingly enough, in places like the Red Sea, in the northern half of the Red Sea, it's been 82, 83 degrees for millennia because it's a small shallow, it's in the middle of the desert. And so we're really interested in understanding how those corals are being resilient and how they can survive. Mm-hmm. And could that hold the hope for the future of the oceans? And so um, Crown Prince um, bin Salman, he, um, being a diver, really cares about, uh, I believe, the, the, the corals there. And he contacted us and, and his people. Um, and so I'm on an advisory board out there on a development project to try and work with them to look at how they can develop tourism in that area, but still also protect the corals at the same time. Mm. So we work all over the world in projects to try and figure yeah. out how we build sustainability for our oceans. Mm. And so, and how did you guys, I, I actually want the original story of how you met, who hit on who, all that <laughs> juicy detail, but also um, from your side of it, for all the activism that you do and, and uh, with climate change and whatnot. So how did you get into that realm? So I, um, I, I went to university um, and I was an opera major for that one semester <laughs> and then I uh, went to journalism and I knew I wanted to be a storyteller. I love traveling, I love meeting new people, um, new cultures, foods. I just thought that for me, telling people stories was what was so important. Um, so at the time, I had landed my dream job. Uh, I was a correspondent for E! News and I was a correspondent for, for E! for seven years. And during that time, the BP oil spill happened and one of my girlfriends invited me to an event. Um, and she sent me the flyer of this kind of cute guy, <laughs> but he was wearing mandals. <laughs> wait, wait. Mandals. 
Wait, no. what, what is that? Okay, so, so it was a picture. Mandalorian. Yeah, so it was a picture of a very cute guy, but he was wearing mandals, and he was like, you know, bent down in the oil spill, and I was like, oh, you know, he could be kind of cute, but whatever, I'm going with my friend. Let's be honest, though. The first time you told me this story, you were not so nice. You were like, who's this nerd wearing mandals? Okay, like, that's true. Man I really sandals yeah. in, who's like, on the beach. But what's, yeah. wait, what's the difference between a man sandal and a woman sandal? So, I don't even know this. Well, it's well, just that because... It's like a nurse. Was he wearing socks with them? It's like a nurse, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> no, but okay, so then when we actually met, uh, and I went to the event, and we were only going to stay for the very beginning because my girlfriend knew the person that was putting it on, and then all of a sudden, in through the door walks this giant person like me, because I was wearing four inch heels, so I was 6'3 that evening. So in walks this guy who's eye level, and I was like, oh my gosh, that guy is so handsome. Look at those who mandals. Is and, that? Then, and then I walked in behind him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Oh, who's mandals? that guy? Dwayne Johnson <laughs> wasn't available. So yeah, just, oh, and they were like, no, that, yeah, he's married. Um, but that guy's available. <laughs> so then we just, our eyes met. That was it. We started chatting. We, um, we ended up talking. Well, Philippe did his, his talk. We ended up finding each other after the event, and we ended up sitting at the bar chatting until they literally started vacuuming like around our feet. Um, and it's like three in the morning. Yeah, oh and, and we've been together ever since. But lo and behold, the Mandals were technically water shoes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Now so I have educated her on the importance. Protective water shoes yes, they, they, for yes. your toes yes. when right. you're like going around. But and, so, he, and he made me get a pair. Now <laughs> I have a. Now <laughs> I have a pair. You have a pair of yes. Mandals. Oh. Yes. So wait, when, when he came to this fancy event, was yeah. he wearing a tuxedo and mandals? No, he okay. actually, yeah, he had on his cute, like, But that know. is a good idea. I'm bringing him back. Oh, I, please don't. I'm I, bringing uh, mandals back. I mean, technically, they're water, they're explore water shoes, or I forget how you, tell, you like, sold me on <laughs> that. That's like when you're, like, fancying up something, like when you're wearing, like, flood pants or something. You're like, right. No, it's the latest trend in Milan. Or Wait, what's wrong with flood? I'm pretty sure it's yeah. flood pants right now. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I saw it on the runway. Ben Stiller wore it. Well, wait, but didn't you break your toe too? Yes. Did you break your toe? So that so Philippe has said he was like, you know, you, this is so you don't break your toe while you're out doing, you know, walking around in water. You don't stub uh, your toe on like a piece of a board or a piece of coral or you know whatever. Well, also, you know, I I will admit. Um, I don't like walking barefoot in the ocean. Like I, when you're walking into the water, I don't like it at all because there are so many sharp stones and yeah. whatever else. And I, and also there are a lot of gross little things that get in between my toes that I don't like. Well, they don't like going <laughs> yeah. in between your toes. No, they I don't didn't either. know you're so delicate. Yeah. yeah, I'm a delicate soul. Unless it's those little fish that like eat your dead skin. Yeah, then, then it's like a pedicure. <laughs> but we, um, I, I find, or the the broken toe. Mine was not in the ocean or something cool like that. I was playing peekaboo with a friend of ours down in our living room. It was their, their kid, not not a friend. We're not weirdo adults that play peekaboo. Uh, but she's she was two, and so I was behind the chair, and then she went to run around one side, and I went to run around the other side, and it's a metal edge on the chair, and I caught the toe, and I let out a swear an word. I let, yeah. let out a bomb. And freaked the kid out because it, was, it hurt a lot. And they're like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. And I looked down and my toe was at 90 degree. And then I was like, oh, let's just, I'm going to pop it back into place. And, I was and Linda's like, like, do no. not touch it. You don't know how broken it is or, or like so where it's broken. She made me go get an x-ray and, and it was broken. So sure enough, uh, we were actually, so this was just before. So what our, you're saying is that, that you need mandals to yes. the house. 
I need, need house mandals. I need mandals and a helmet for walking. Like, like I, cool. seriously, I we fall can do a that. lot. And pillows. We, we can do that. Yeah. Well, this was, the sad thing was, actually, no, we were talking to you oh, guys. Yeah, it was remember. before you went to Galapagos, yes. right? Exactly. And and you guys had actually set up for us to have this amazing tour. And, and, um, well, it was Machu Picchu. Machu Picchu? Yes, yes. Machu Picchu. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so then then the, the contact you put us in there trying to figure out, like, we can fly you all the way up and, and land you somewhere right at the top. And, and I'm like... That just takes away all the fun yeah, of it. So exactly. We decided not to do it. We'll go back another time and walk it when I have That's right. 10 toes. Well, 10 working toes. Yeah, and we'll get you mandals toes. for that. And do you have, are there mandals for hiking, like up a hill? Yes, or is that technically. Just called a hiking I'm, boot? I'm, like those ugly ones you have. Oh. Yeah, but, they're, but still hiking boots are better. Yeah, yeah. we'll go with the hiking boots. And they look better. So this is the thing. I, I used to be a personal trainer, and at the gym... You have the, everyone comes in, the whole style nowadays, those little toes, the toe shoe things uh-huh. you put on. Yes. Is that, do you wear those? I see you wearing I, those. I, I've, I've worn those before, but not anymore, no. Here's my concern. Here's my <laughs> issue. His face like, thank goodness. <laughs> so a shoe is meant, especially like an athletic shoe, it's meant to give you the proper structure and support under your foot for your arch and everything like that. But when you come in with just these, it's like a sock that individually wraps each yeah. of your toes yes. and it's super creepy looking. Um, that is, is just at the gym. It's not giving you any support. And no. I, it was always been a frustration of mine. And it like, hurts your shins because I also got a pair. My husband talks me. My husband talks me into these very bad ideas. Yes, but it hurts I feel your like shins. You're getting a bad reputation right now. I feel like I know because actually, Philippe has a really good sense of style. But, but I'm you, only you've helped me up, up my, my shoe game. When you walk a lot, you need the support because that helps your your knees, your shins, your back, yeah. everything. And if you're not getting the support that you should have, um, you should put it in there. But anyway. Maybe not, not everybody needs it. Maybe some people can wear weirdo toe sock shoes, but... It does also feel weird. We'll get you a good pair of hiking boots yeah. for Machu Picchu next time. Yeah. And now, on a separate note from creepy shoes and everything, so you grew up in Raleigh. I grew up in Raleigh. So tell us about growing up, your sort of, your, uh, your family life and... Uh, I, to- I am like so totally normal, if that makes sense. No, um, you're no, not. No, no, nobody for, is normal. But for, I would say, okay, I, um, average. How about this? I have um, I have two amazing parents that are still married today. I have an older sister. We're four years apart. She's married. See, she has that's two kids. Not well, that, okay, that's for, for Linda's that's family. True. You know, it's not normal. Yeah. <laughs> but we, um, but it was great. I love North Carolina. There's so many beautiful things to do there. Um, but. You know, I, I, I know we wanted to come in today and talk about home. And when I was thinking about what home meant to me, um, there's something that happened in my life that I usually don't think about. But when I was in second grade, our home was destroyed by a tornado hmm. while we were in it. And you that, were in it? We were in it. Oh, my gosh. We were in it. It was, um, it was an F4 wow. that came through Raleigh. Out of five, right? Uh, yeah, there's oh only, it only gosh. goes to an F5. And so it was an F4, and it came in, and it hit, it, you know, it, it, it hit twice, actually, because, you know, tornadoes do their thing. But for me, at such a young age, it was um, the day after Thanksgiving, so everything was decorated for the holidays. So we lost most of our, you know, almost all of our holiday stuff went away, our baby books went away, our clothes went away, almost everything in the house because the roof was taken off of the two-story. And it sucked everything out of your house. It just sucked everything out of the house. And so when I think about home, it's so interesting that, that it's more than just the structure, right? It's, it's the memories that you put in. And it's even more than the physical memories because you know we just had a baby and I was thinking, well, should I do a baby book? Should I not do a baby book with her? And I thought, wow, I don't even really have a baby book. And, I, and so to me, it's not just about the physical memories that you make. 
Um, it's, it's, stuff. it's not about the stuff, yeah. exactly. It's not about the stuff. Mm-hmm. It's about the memories that you make as a family. Yeah. So for me, sorry to take this onto a downer note, but no, 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 that's, I, that's, very I, positive. Note. Yeah, it's like it's, it's more a, important. Than it's stuff. a great reminder, mm-hmm. you know, we surround ourselves with all of these beautiful things, and mm-hmm. I we see it as it's just a stage for life to unfold. Exactly, you know, it's, it's okay to have these things, but it's not the only thing. It doesn't, it doesn't exactly. define us. Like right. all your belongings don't define you, and right. I think um, well, that's one thing that we've always loved about you guys is you're very much so about experiences, experiences that, that inspire you and help inspire other people. Um, and, and I cannot believe being in a house when a tornado hits, especially of that caliber. And yeah. so like when you, when you watch in the news, mm-hmm. when you see footage of literally full houses being ripped up and torn away, that's a stage four. That's, yeah, that was it. That's, that was it. That's crazy. Um, and we, we were safe. Um, everybody in our neighborhood was safe, but two people died um, in, that, in that tornado in Raleigh. And, you know, when, when I hear about these natural disasters, like the fires in, in California, and I hear about people saying, you know, I only had time to grab, you know, my dog and my, and my wedding album. You know, and it really, I can, I can relate to that. And it's, it's really important. And I hope people think that, and they remember that, that it's just, it's about, it's about what you have and what you cherish, not about the stuff that you carry around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. Help protect what matters most with 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. You said that very professionally. I try. (laughs) Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help you make your home smarter and safer. more and more natural disasters at higher scale than Yeah, 100 year storms before. happening every, every few other years. year. Yeah. And also if you look in the US, I mean you you know you'll know more of these stats uh, than I do, I'm sure, but um, in the US if you look at the um, peaked heat like heat waves that come through that the top temperatures um, of the last like for all of time well, that we year. know of, the last yeah. five years I think have been the highest rated. Right. Out, um, uh, and every year it's like this is every the hottest year on record. record. Hottest yeah. year on yep. record. Yeah. It just keeps climbing yeah. up. It's crazy, but um, I mean, from what I understand, climate change is not real. <laughs> it's a Chinese hoax. I will yeah, you actually. For <laughs> um, it drives me nuts when people when you hear people say that. I'm like, this right. isn't just a bunch of hippies pretending to um, say something about damaging uh, the earth. There is scientific proof right, right. that there are issues. And so how do you when, you, when you guys are talking to people who are non-climate change believers, how do you try, because what you were saying before, you try to lead with um, certain positivity instead of yeah. doom and gloom. And Linda and I are exactly the same. I don't think it helps if you're trying to talk to somebody who has a differing opinion. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mm-hmm. help if you come and attack their beliefs. How can you make them understand and find a middle ground and then hopefully start to open up their eyes? I mean, for me, do you mind if I start yeah. and then you can fill in? I think for us, I, we have met those people. We know some of those people. And, and it's, you're never going to win them over by debating, mm. sadly. You're not. Yeah. So what we do is, okay, well, what's something that they care about? So maybe if they're a single mom and they're worried about putting food on their child's plate. Okay, let's talk about food security. Let's talk about what the changing weather is doing for our food system. 
or if you're a parent and your child has asthma. Let's talk about what is the leading cause of asthma mm -hmm. and it's pollution. Um, so we're always trying to find ways in that, yeah. that relate to that specific person. Or if you care about national security, okay, let's talk about what climate change is doing to national security because mm -hmm. now we're having climate refugees all over the world trying to you know, get into different countries. Let's talk about that. And not just places you know, that we can't even pronounce, yeah. but places Here. like Miami and New York, yeah. exactly. all of those people will become climate refugees. Exactly. Yeah. And exactly. it's already happening in places like Miami. And it's interesting that when you look at environmental issues, climate, ocean issues, it's much more bipartisan in Southern Florida than ever before because, oh wow, it's starting to affect people's backyards mm -hmm. and people are demanding their politicians do something. Because they're finding so. octopuses in parking garages like yeah. after these storms. like Yeah, yeah, because yeah. of the floods. Yeah. And so you're seeing the ocean's king tides coming in and, and they've got this famous picture now of, from a few years ago of an octopus in the middle of a yeah, parking garage. So That somebody picked up and put back into the ocean also. Yeah. So. Well, that's nice. And I think that, yeah. that so as Ashton, Ashton pointed out, finding common ground and, and talking about what people care about is really important. I think the environmental movement on both sides of the argument, on pretty much both sides of any argument in this country these days, it's all about shouting and yelling and tribalism where it's like, I'm right and you're wrong as opposed to how do we come together and find common ground. Mm -hmm. So trying to be the adult in the room and, and doing more of that I think is important. And then also it really leads back to the work that we do. Our charitable work is through the nonprofit I founded, Earth Echo International, 15 years ago. And that's been focused on young people. So we believe that the key to solving environmental problems is building a youth strategy and, and getting young people engaged in the environmental movement. Because it's young people that can remarkably cut through a lot of that. It's young people that have a big influence on the, the, the adults in their community. Yeah. Um, Greta is yeah. a great yeah. example yeah. Of, of a young person that's had a huge impact. Yeah. And there are thousands of Gretas around the world. Our organization reached over, we directly engaged over 200,000 young people around wow. the world last year Amazing. in training and teaching them tools and resources around the environment and conservation, how can they get engaged in their communities. So we really find that, that both having the right conversations with people, uh, meeting people where they are, and then also really focusing, which I think is something the environmental movement hasn't done a good job of for a long time, is focusing on how do we really engage young people and be yeah. change agents yeah. in their communities and, and on the world stage. Well, I, I think, and that's an exciting thing too, because young, so many young people we've met, because we've actually traveled around, even our honeymoon was um, actually a part of the WE organization and helping in villages down in the Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, and seeing, there were, there were actually a, a bunch of youth groups that were down at the same um, camp that we were from all over North America. And they're so passionate and they want to use their voice and they want to help and they want to inspire people and they want to help domestic and abroad. Yeah. And yes. so it's exciting. It's fantastic. I, I always tell people, I never ever had anybody come up to me and say, you know, I didn't think the oceans mattered or I didn't <laughs> believe in climate change, but I saw that 30 second public service announcements you did and changed my, my worldview. That doesn't happen. It's really hard to change people's perspectives when they're already, particularly these days, set in stone. I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, you know, I wasn't that into this kind of, these kinds of issues, but then my kids came home every day from school and were like, mom, dad, we have to do this, mom, dad, we have to change yeah. this, and they do. And so young people can be um, really remarkable change agents, and I think mm -hmm. historically the environmental movement has done a very poor job of yeah. engaging young people, and that's really what well, we're Well, I, I think it really comes down to that doom and gloom side that you're talking about, because um, I think a lot of us, even from my younger generation, we were taught to, and even in school and, and anything we're trying to be a part of, we were taught to come at it hard, like, 
here are the problems, here are the problems, everyone be aware of the problems, but mm-hmm. where's the solution? You can't just come at something like that. And I, I th- you did a TEDx um, called uh, Where's Richard Nixon When You Need when Him? When You Need Him, that's right. And it was, <laughs> that was the same sort of a, a, a philosophy that you had, right? That about, it, was more about, it was more about hope than it was about doom and gloom. Right. It was, it was about that and it was, it was about this idea that, that the environment should be something that brings us together. Mm-hmm. Um, the title of it is a little tongue-in-cheek, but in many ways very serious because in the era of Richard Nixon, a very Republican you know, president, um, environmental conservation was a bipartisan issue. So Nixon started the EPA, um, NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. It's like our NASA for the oceans. Um, the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act Extension, the Marine Mammal Protection Act. I mean, the environment, it wasn't really until Reagan that environment started to become a wedge issue that politicians used to divide people. Prior to that, it was an issue that brought people together. Hmm. Because clean air and clean water doesn't care if you're a libertarian or independent right. or Democrat yeah. or Republican. It matters to or all Or old or young or... Yeah, exactly. And you know, having healthy homes for us, is key. part of that is having a healthy environment, right? Because yeah. we can't thrive, our communities and our families, our children can't thrive if we don't have a healthy environment to, to have those homes in. And so. Um, it's it's when, unfortunate it's become a, a divisive issue. Well, yeah. I will say, because the day that we don't have clean water, all bets are off. Exactly. Nobody's going to care. Nothing if else who, matters. Nothing else matters if you don't have clean water mm-hmm. to drink. Yeah. yeah. Can't drink oil. Right. And I think what you said about meeting people where they are mm-hmm. as, as a method and as an approach is so important because in the past, I feel like the environmental movement has, you know, sometimes we do get a bad rep of being or seeming better than Mm -hmm. and it makes it so inaccessible for people who are trying to do just a little bit of good but are embarrassed that you know we're not driving electric cars or our house like we don't have solar panels and i think the more accessible it is and the more we celebrate the smaller things yeah Yeah, the more everyone can you know slowly make progress look look here i mean there are no plastic bottles um single use anywhere that we see here no, I wasn't pointing at you. I, I see an old one over there. Sorry. Like, Wait, who is that? Uh-oh. We have none at our table here. But even even if there is, it's not like it's even if there is, it's not you know our job isn't to make someone feel ashamed. No, right? but, but right. building the awareness. Well, exactly. Yeah. What I was saying though is, um, for example, on set, we we film nonstop. You guys are the same. You're always filming. You know how it is on set. The easy thing for a lot of people is just grab a plastic water bottle, yep. just chug it down, toss it, grab another one. And it's just how sets have always been. And when, when I started thinking about, you know, okay, maybe I'll just get a, a bottle I can reuse over and over, it felt a little daunting at first because I'm like, well, what if I, I finish that and then we don't have somewhere to fill up for water and, you know, depending where we're filming, I don't want to use tap water. Mm-hmm. And, and it felt very daunting, but we then, I just, I, we got in the habit of it and within a matter of a week or so, it was easy. It was yeah. absolutely easy. And I think there's so many things, small things in people's lives that they feel it would be completely daunting to change. Yep. But just a little bit of change at a time, all of a sudden you look back and you've you've made drastic changes in the right direction. It's like money usually too. That's yeah. the other thing everybody well, and, thinks. And nobody's perfect. Like I'm I'm not perfect. Um Philippe and is, no but you're one, not. yeah, Philippe is. I would argue the opposite. You are. But I mean I've, no but Especially nobody, with my mandals. <laughs> Stop it. At least they weren't plastic mandals. But nobody can be perfect. So I always tell people when they're like, you know, I want to change, but I, I, it's just, where do I even start? And I say, you know what? Don't go home and throw out all of your cleaning supplies. Don't go home and throw out all the plastic containers you have. Don't do that because that's also wasteful. So just every time you run out of something and you need something new, 
just try to make a better choice. Yeah. And that's an easy way to look at it. So next time you need sheets, see if you can get sheets that are at least 100% cotton rather than cotton poly blend, which is plastic. Or try to see, if you already have that, try to see if you can get organic ones. Um, or you mean Scott Living Sheets with a 10-cell blend, and so it's organic technology. <laughs> Which we Go love 10-cell. those, yes. yes. <laughs> little plug, Scott Living. Yes, but that's, and that's perfect, and people don't realize what a little change like that, what yeah. a big difference it makes. Or next time you run out of your you know, Windex or whatever, like we just really use white vinegar mixed with you know white vinegar and water to pretty much clean everything. Mm. I like that cuz then it's like a game and every time you run out instead of, you know, immediately going to convenience. Exactly. It's like, oh, it's a challenge. What can I find out there? Cuz there exactly. are so many great products that are mm -hmm. better for your health and better for the environment. And well, even big stores are starting to carry them too. Like yeah. even if you're close to stores, a Target or a Walmart, that's that's fine. They yeah. are actually starting to carry some really cool um, innovative brands too. Yeah. So it's not like it's this because before, I think being eco was hard. And more yeah. expensive. And it was expensive yeah. and it wasn't convenient, but now I feel like it's actually being more convenient. Well, I think and from, from the small scale up to larger scale that, that people are doing, I think every uh, big businesses, big yes. brands coming on board to make a change. Yep. That on, on the, the state level, I mean, that's making a huge change too because they have a big voice. These are powerful mm -hmm. companies, multi-million dollar or billion dollar companies that are now sit, standing on the side of doing what's better for the environment. That's and so we just completed our first dock feature and it's called Power Trip and it's on the struggle between uh, renewables and fossil fuel and all the misinformation out there. There's, there's um, political corruption. There's, um, it's just the way that um, people are fed information about solar or any renewables and making them think that it's not really feasible for them. Or, like we were in Nevada, where we were being penalized if you went solar, you then had a penalty you paid and it made it more expensive than just sticking with your, your traditional fossil fuel energy. And so um, it's exciting for us to see, though, that there is a lot of change happening. And even if you look at uh, for uh, new operations, new build for nu nuclear power plants or, or coal, it's minimal. It's new is minimal compared to what they're doing for renewable build. I think in, in North America as a whole, it's over 90% over of all new construction for um, for energy plants is renewable. Well, it's renewable energy in this country employs more people than oil, gas, and coal combined. And you start to think about the fact, listen, none of this is going to change overnight. Fossil fuels is a trillion dollar subsidies for fossil fuels. It's a trillion dollars every year, just the subsidies globally. And that's a trillion oh dollars. You know, you're not going to change You know what I laugh, though? I, I've had the argument from the other side, and I try not to come back defensively because I'm trying to make them understand. And yep. they're like, well, you're complaining, you know, renewables get subsidies as well. I mean, it's not just fossil fuels that are getting subsidies. I'm like, it's a trillion dollar subsidy <laughs> versus, to yeah. a few million dollar subsidy. Exactly. Like, or maybe a hundred million dollar at most compared yeah. to a trillion. I'm like, there's no comparison. There's no comparison. And also the subsidy for renewable is actually going into installation or different um, types of building for creating job opportunities where the subsidy for, um, uh, for the other side is making not really rich. going to what's going to benefit people. It's making big yeah. business rich. <laughs> and I don't think renew and renewables are probably not going to give our daughter uh, cancer or um, asthma. No. Well, that's the other thing. So this a trillion dollars is the direct subsidies, right? What a lot of people don't think about is that there are indirect subsidies, externalities to fossil fuels that renewables don't have. So for example, a gallon of gasoline actually costs the tax for the, the American individual uh, more than $10 a gallon. Mm. Like that's what we're paying because though we pay only at the pump, say three to $4 a gallon, mm. the actual cost for the pollution 
and the human cost of that uh, gallon of gasoline actually then costs us as a country a lot of money yeah, to fix. Exponential. So, yeah. so you're still paying for it, you just pay for it later. And then pay for the consequences of it. In That's my point. So, exactly. so, so you have those direct subsidies and then you have all these indirect subsidies that we're paying for all the bad negative effect, impacts of fossil fuels. Renewables don't have those same externalities because yeah. like, there's no such thing as a sun spill that costs us <laughs> billions and billions of dollars and ruins people's lives in the Gulf of Mexico. Animals, yeah. right? and yeah. kills animals. Yeah. That doesn't happen. And so there's the direct subsidies and the hidden subsidies as well. So yeah. the amount, the, the 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 amount of money that we invest in propping up fossil fuels is exponentially, uh, exponentially thank you, exponentially more than we invest in. And, and it's just you know when you think about the sad thing is money is what moves the world for 100%. a lot of these people, and and um, you know for fossil fuels, the amount of money that they make, they don't want to lose all those trillions. And then of course, of course. all the pharmaceutical companies who make a ton of money off the people they're getting sick from environmental issues, they don't want to lose all their money that they're making off of that side yep. of it. So it's sad. Maybe. We will start it right here, and all of at us home, will start at, at home. home. We will right. start to change that way of thinking. Let's do what's actually right for the for people and the planet. But um, and also you have a you have a six month old. We do. So we have a little girl. Obviously, that's a whole other change for you guys yeah. to really think of what's best for her future and what what will still be here and what will be a safe future for her. It's true. I mean, we always kind of talk. You know, we always kind of thought about the future and and what that means and and through the nonprofit and working with kids. But when we had our little girl, who we call Baby Fish, um, when we had Baby Fish, it really, you know, uh, came home uh, to us. And even just the other day, I think I had, I was having kind of a dark day yesterday and I texted Philippe and I was, uh, I was sitting somewhere and I was like, man, I'm just thinking about all the stuff that Baby Fish is going to have to deal with in her life. And it's really creeping me out. Yeah. Bad word. <laughs> OMG. Yeah. And it, you know, I just had to sit with it for a little bit. And it's those days are hard. But the way we thought of it is there is hope. And we've seen it. Um, I think we maybe told you guys about the one time we went scuba diving in um, the Marshall Islands. And that's where the United States did... Um, a lot of nuclear testing mm. during the Cold War. And they actually, so much so, that we dropped the largest nuclear bomb that the U.S. ever created called Castle Bravo on Bikini Atoll. The blast was so hot that it actually vaporized half of the island. It turned it like turned the sand into glass. Um, it killed everything within miles, within a few miles. And 60 years later, we went back because we had heard and we saw that nature had flourished. Mm. It hadn't just come back, it was thriving. So and what was happening between, like within that span of 60 years? Like what human activity was happening? That, I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> there wasn't much because the island is still radioactive. Mm. So we only even spent about 20 minutes on the island before oh, wow. we were like, okay. That's At this enough. point, we yeah. hadn't had a baby. We were like, if we want to have a baby, we should yeah. probably leave. Yeah. Um, but we were able to, you know, once nature just got, got a break, there was no, really no fishing in that area, no, no human pollution. Mm. It just got to be, and it came back There's in a famous 60 saying, years. Wow. Yeah. Radiation is, is bad, people are worse. Yeah. So it's, wow. you know, it's yeah. scary. That yeah. It, 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 perspective. Yeah, it, it, it did, it wiped the place out, and now it's come back. Like Chernobyl, so. too. I don't know, I'm sure you guys have heard about Chernobyl, yeah. and it's come back, and there's also... Um, like wolves that they thought were extinct have now come back yeah. in so, this area. So in those areas, because there's when, no people. Well, yeah. when, there, when there are no people and it's starting to thrive again, yeah. but how um, there is still no measure to counteract the radioactive. Um, yeah. So in the ocean, I mean, the good news is that it dissipated 
very quickly. Right. The land, those little islands are still radioactive, but the biodiversity is not really on those islands mm. anyway. It's in the ocean. Um, yeah. It's really in the ocean where, right. the, where, the, where the business is happening. And, you know, I mean, this drives it home for me when I think about our daughter being about seven months old. In 40 years, so in my lifetime, in our lifetime, basically, we're all about the same age, the Earth has lost half of its biodiversity. So half of the living stuff the, the diversity of living things on Earth have disappeared in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. That only leaves 50% more. So it can happen. I mean, when mm-hmm. you think about that, if you just take a minute and think about the fact that half of the living things on Earth that make this world this abundant, beautiful, magical place, and that also, uh, even from, from bees, you know, that are so important to all of us through agriculture. I mean, all these different animals that, that have an impact and an importance of the web of life that supports us as human beings on this planet as well have disappeared. That's terrifying. It can happen. Human beings can wipe things out. And, um, and we have been. And, and also, we were talking about plastics and, and household items earlier. Um, it's estimated in the oceans that by the middle of the century, there may be more plastic in the ocean than, than fish. And so what happens when... A physical space becomes predominantly filled with trash. What do we call that? A dump. Wally. So is it possible that human <laughs> beings have turned the ocean into a dump in 75, 80 years? Like that is staggering. And so it's a big issue. And it's one that we really worry about with Vivian, baby fish, um, a lot. Because the issues that we're facing are very real. They're very, very serious. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and people are already, you know, feeling the impacts of that. We're seeing disease, we're talking about disease and health issues that are skyrocketing, cancer rates skyrocketing, all these things. Um, looking at the quality of our food has declined over the decades. We're seeing the re- results of that are impacting us. That's an environmental issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're seeing storms. climate refugees, stronger storms. I mean, these are things that are really affecting us. Yeah. So doing something about it is, is, is yeah. urgent. An obligation, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I love that you guys are, are, paving that path for others to, to be inspired to follow. And, and I do feel that there is, the good thing right now is there is far more awareness now than what there was 10 years ago. Absolutely, I tell you. So. And I don't want to end on doing, I'll just say that, that we do, we, we work with young people through Earth Echo, hundreds of thousands of kids every year, and we, I've never, and Ash will say the same, never walked into a, to a middle school, an elementary, or high school, and not seen optimism and hope and passion on the face of every single young person in there, and like the fervent desire to change the world. Yeah. Um, and that's what gives me hope. I mean, I think, I think that's the good news, is that we have a new generation that's more aware and more engaged than ever before. And then yeah. the next generation, too, will be even more excited to continue that legacy. I'm curious if you have excitement about introducing baby fish to baby face. Or maybe Baby Yoda. <laughs> baby, Yoda baby Yoda, for sure. Definitely. I'm a bit of a Star Wars nerd, so yes. Yeah. Together they could make huge change. They could yeah. change the world. Use they the will force. change the world. They, they, the they will change Harness the world. Harness the force to do good things. Yes. Yeah. Baby Yoda for sure. So one thing I just want to ask though, for you guys, you've traveled so much, you've been all over. If you were to go explore somewhere that you have never explored before, what excites you the most? What, what place on this planet? So that's a little hard for me because I am very lucky and I, not that this is a competition at all. But, but, <laughs> but it, it is. is. But yeah. I have been to all seven continents. Oh, wow. So I have been I'm to Antarctica. Jealous. I actually gave a TED talk at Scott Base and wow. in Antarctica and I actually slept out on the ice one night, oh which goodness. was incredible. In an, in an ice, 
uh, cave that I built myself because that was part of our like survival training. Oh my that gosh. That was amazing. Um, so I would say, so since, that ha- so since that's off my bucket list. Hold on um, a second, I got a question on that. Yeah. What's the, um, the, the man traveler, what's, what's it, or the, the guy that goes out, Bert? Bear Grylls. Bear Grylls, Bear Grylls. Yes. yeah. Have you, have you met him and have you been like, hey, Bear Grylls, this is what I did. Mm, take yeah. that. <laughs> take that, Bear. Yeah. No, but I will next time I see him. I think you should because building your own ice cave, like that's yeah. the thing of It was pretty hardcore, I have to admit. Times. It's pretty amazing. It was, I'm very jealous. I was very proud of myself for that one. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted. Yeah. Oh, no, that's okay. So I would say, so, so since Antarctica's off my list, I would like to go up to the Arctic. That would be my. I'd like to go to the Arctic, and actually, really like to go to the um, to the North Pole. To see Santa. To see Santa, of course. Yeah, yeah, I knew it. yeah that's. <laughs> Make sure. I mean, let's list. be honest. Yeah, yeah. Make sure I'm he's always working. nice. Yeah, uh, I would say Antarctica is probably on the top. I've actually been to the Arctic, not to the North Pole, but it was just a few hundred miles south of the North Pole, um, filming for a BBC doc I did several years ago, and. Um, but I've never been to Antarctica, so that's my last continent. So Antarctica is probably. So you're the same. Yeah. So we just swept. We just swap. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. We swap each other. I want to go south and you're going north. Yeah. I, I mean, personally, I was going to say, I just want to make it out to San Diego one day. <laughs> but I mean, you know, that also sounds cool, North Pole. What I mean, mean, you know, whatever. What, <laughs> yeah, what, what, my bucket list? I, I want to go to Egypt. Oh, oh we yes. talked about this. You so, must. love Egypt. I want to know, because you know people in secret places. Yes. There has to be someone that could give us a tour inside one of the old pyramids that nobody's allowed to go to anymore, and I want to find like some Indiana Jones secret place <laughs> where I can find a temple full of. So I collect old coins. I have antique coins. I have coins That's from right. two thousand years ago. I have tenth century British coins. I have old swords and armor. Not that I want to take anything. I don't want to take anything. Museum. I just want to find it. That's I want right. to see it. Yeah. That's How when the Beatles come out. Yes. This is yeah. I don't need any sort of Beatles to come out and attack me. But <laughs> well, we went to Egypt last year. Yeah, I was pregnant. Oh. Newly pregnant, and I like climbed a pyramid. I was very proud of myself. I almost threw up on said pyramid, but I didn't. <laughs> um, but it was amazing. And actually, yeah, we the, the new museum should be open. We went to the old museum, but the new museum in Cairo should be open. You guys have got oh, to cool. go do that. We we did get to go with a with a guide um, through some friends of ours that helped set it up uh, to go into a couple places that had just been excavated, mm-hmm. but uh, they didn't have currency. My understanding, they didn't like have coins or money. Oh, good point. That's true. In ancient Egypt, so oh. unfortunately, no coins or anything to be found. It was mm. people were paid in food, oh. pretty much. Um, or like luxury. I yeah, they had jewelry. Yeah. They had. They didn't have jewels. Yeah. They didn't have all those kinds of yeah. things. But those things were only for the very rich and would only be in tombs mm. that, like, most yeah. of them ha- were robbed. Right. right over the millennia. So right, yeah. there's yes. only By there were thousands like of them. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, so your great 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 grandfather's probably a tomb robber in, in When I was a kid, the only thing I remember from my studies was that someone stole King Tut's penis. That's the what? Uh, uh, Why would they steal <laughs> that? Because in his the way he was embalmed, what do you call it, embalmed or, or whatever yeah. the way things you didn't think you'd hear on a podcast talking about homes. King Tut's penis, ladies and gentlemen. Tutankhamun lost his manliness um, because somebody thought it would be worth something and they just took it to keep on a mantle. I have no idea. Did they ever find it? Wow. I don't did know if they get ever bronze did. it or gild it? I don't know. I, I decided not to give it back. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. Anyway, so you have it here. I, yeah, it's here with all my other Under spoils. Under pillow. But uh, you, know, you know what we... Oh, gosh. So I'm That's your pillow, too. <laughs> so I have to ask, was he... 
He was you a know? small man. He, he was, was a small, small man. man. Yes, okay, got it. He was, got it. He was, he was got a small it. man. Got it. Everybody was small back then. Everybody was small. Yeah. Smaller. Yeah, okay. small penis. I think the tall you heard it here, for, ladies and gentlemen. Tutankhamun had a small penis. So well, because No, because I remember we were looking at all the mummies, and I remember thinking, these yeah. people were tiny. They were. I was like, they shrunk a, a little bit, obviously. Felipe and I would have been Mummified, like Godzilla. Monsters. You guys would have been gods. Monsters. Yeah, I, I uh, you know what? I will find a time machine and go back, go back. to that time. So, but we did do one thing that was very cool uh, in Scotland uh, a couple of years ago because Linda and I just we love history. I mean, I would have if I could have studied history in, in university, I would have. But we went to Scotland, where all my family are from, mm -hmm. and we tried to find where we could do an archaeological dig because oh, I I have a bunch of old swords and armor and and so Linda found an organization that actually was doing a dig in a, in a, on a hill called Black Hill just outside of where my dad's from. Atlanta. And they just get volunteers to yeah. come. So we got to go yeah. out there and I didn't realize what? how strong the Roman influence was in Scotland. And so they had Roman encampments all over. And so where we were, when you look up, it just looks like a hill, a grassy hill full of sheep and cows. But when and you went to the- And a lot of poop. And a lot of, yeah. a lot of yes. cow patties. Yeah. <laughs> when you go up to the top of the hill and look down, he was showing us there are little hills in uh, little bumps in all of the uh, the hill, and you could see it was where there was a, like a turret and there was another little kind of oh, a, wow. a, a a wall over so on this side. It was the, the Roman encampment. Of the structure. That, so oh, we, yeah. we started. It was, it was so the coolest cool. thing, and I had no idea all my years that that was there. And so we helped. This was actually only the first week, so there wasn't a lot uncovered yet, but we uncovered a little bit. If you ever find something like that, like that is so exciting for us to come and be a part of. Too. I thought That's you were cool. going to tell a story about going to uh, Edinburgh University and getting a tour of their oh, anatomy yeah. department. And in there, speaking of grave robbers, who was the really famous one? It was two, the grave robber. Two famous grave robbers oh, um, from or, Egypt. No, 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 no. This was in in, uh, in, in Scotland, oh, in Edinburgh. No, but like, they were what they used Scotland. to do. The, the do doctors that were studying anatomy and trying to understand the body. Um, it was valuable for them to get the yeah. fresher the body, the better. So instead of digging up from uh, just digging up from graves, there were people that started just killing people and bringing the bodies because yes. they were fresh. Yeah. And so they ended up getting caught. And then as a payback to those people, when they were they were executed. Uh, their bodies are now forever in this museum. Serving science. Serving science yeah. um, because their bodies are now on display. Um, for So we got to see I that. I love it was, that. It was pretty cool to see some of what was in the university. Like it, it was massive. And they even actually had a, some sort of a disaster that wiped out a whole bunch of the specimens that they had from over the years. But I mean, the history there is, I mean, University of St. Andrews, for example, started in 1411. So I'm like, That's so, insane. you know, 60 years before Columbus even went over to the new world, of course, there were a lot of people that are here already, but his new world, um, people were like walking around St. Andrews studying and scholars and things. So like the history there just yeah. dwarfs anything over here. Yeah. The stuff that they've got, I mean, I get to walk around when I remember it was university, the, the cathedral grounds and the old cemeteries that go back like five, six, seven, eight hundred years. Like, wow, yeah. this is amazing. Well, that's why I know when we talk, like in Canada, we talk history. 100 years ago, exactly. <laughs> 150 years ago. You're like, Look at this uh, two lifetimes. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's 30 so years old. old, it's from 1970. <laughs> but, uh, well, anyway, thank you so much for coming oh, on. Thank and you guys. We have to make this pact right now that we will have a travel within the year. We okay. have to go somewhere together and Done. explore, have fun, and okay. find another and old Egyptian penis. That'll change the world. Oh, I was going to yeah, share stories oh. that change the world. And then oh, I, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and change the world. And, and change the world. And, and change the world. world. See, but it's typical um, with men, right? Because everything evolves for us 
around yeah. the penis, right? Is that and what you're it's saying? the center of your and world. And women are saying, we want to save the world. And they're like, so the tell me more about the penis. Stuff. Uh, it's, it's, well, that's why women should rule the world, actually. I, I will. Will. We I'll will, don't with, worry. I'll hop in with <laughs> you guys. We'll change the world instead. And I'm going to get back to eating these amazing donuts. Oh, yeah. Thanks for joining thank us, thank guys. Yeah, thank you. Ashlyn has the voice of an angel. I literally had no idea. We've known them for years and I had no idea. Went to school for opera? I had no idea, but I'm not surprised at all. But who goes to school for opera? I didn't even know there was a school for opera. (laughs) There's a school for everything. Let's hear your best opera. I'm just reading a book. <laughs> <laughs> You're reading books off the wall. I was using a different language. I don't know what the language oh. was, but I assumed, mm-hmm. isn't that the way it works? I thought you had to be like a Viking and wore like a big horned hat to be a You product. can wear that any day, no I matter do. what you sing, and you should. Yes, I will. <laughs> From now on, that's what I'm going to do. No, I, I love her voice. Um, Philippe, you know, he's got other pluses. Maybe Like not the mandals. Voice. Like his mandals. <laughs> Man... I mean, I love, they're they're fully on board for going on an adventure with us. So what would you say? I mean, where in the world would be like your top couple of choices? Egypt? Egypt for sure. And something in the water. Something down south. I think if we were to go down south of North America, find some amazing spot with a shipwreck. My only thing is I don't want to go too deep. I'm kind of... I don't know if it's claustrophobic or what, but to go way too because deep in the water. because you're shallow? No, yes, <laughs> yes. I'm, this is where I will admit I'm shallow. But that would be so cool. And and I think too, like, Philippe's whole family, that's what they're known for. I mean, his grandfather, his father, they're environmentalists and they, they teach environmentalism through storytelling. What a yeah. great way to, to spread the word. And I, I think the coolest thing about what Philippe and Ashlyn do is that it is not all about doom and gloom. They... They share stories of positivity and they really motivate the youth and and everyone to take part in making the world a better place. I do find it very fascinating that Philippe has never actually met his father or his grandfather, yet he is following that same path so closely. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really, really amazing to see where where he sort of picked up that family story and then him and Ashlyn together have continued to even grow things to a greater level. Mm -hmm. And and the story of environmentalism and saving the planet. Mm Mm-hmm. Some of the stats that Philippe was sharing, which sound unbelievable when you think within 40 years, the earth has lost half its biodiversity. That's nuts. That's crazy. Yeah, it makes it makes me feel like we are shitty human beings. Like how we're so tiny, yet we make such a huge negative impact. I know that that sounds very negative, but in total, we, we do make a huge dent on the planet and we need to find ways to... Reverse that. Well, when you watch, remember Matrix? Mm-hmm. And I can't remember, what was the bad guy's name on Matrix? The Mr. Anderson, the guy that talked like that. And he was always saying like, you humans, you're a virus. And in a way we have been with how we've been polluting the planet and how we've been destroying the planet. But what I do like in the whole idea of like Philippe and Ashton were saying, it's not doom and gloom in the sense mm-hmm. that we can inspire people through positivity we are making changes that are improving things. The mm-hmm. amount of renewable energy options, I think it's about 95% in North America of new energy production uh, or new uh, development, new plants. It's all renewable energy. 
very little coal anymore and highly reduced uh, nuclear. But um, what's your way of making a positive change? Well, I mean, driving an electric car, I think that's one thing. Mm -hmm. If I'm not driving, we try to ride share with people. Um, you know, even things that we're doing, you know, our productions, we've implemented changes where there's no plastic bottles, single use bottles. We try to get everybody to bring their own reusable bottles, um, even down to printing less paper for scripts and stuff on set. So little things can add up. I think that's a huge thing that people need to realize. Little things can add up and everybody can make a difference. Well, I'm glad to see we are all doing our part. Mm -hmm. But let's just agree on one thing. The earth is flat. All right. Coming up on the <laughs> podcast uh, in the coming weeks, we have Nikki Bella and Artem Chigvinsif. Hey, you said that well. I did. Lamorne Morris, Colton Underwood. We have a lot of great, great guests coming up. And we want to hear back from you guys. We want to hear what you're loving. We want to hear who you think we should be sitting down and chatting with. So hit us up on Instagram at at home. Or email us feedback at at homepodcast.net. A big thank you to Brangelino, our podcast producer. Woohoo! Lee Bell, our amazing researcher. Also, our music, Feels Like Home, is by Chad Carlson and Victoria Shaw. <laughs> Oh, I'll my work on my whistling. Today. Yeah, so is mine. It's pretty bad. <laughs> Too dry. Too many crackers. And a big thank you to you, Linda, the love of my life. Thanks for sitting down and sharing some great stories today. Love you. Love you. Love you. <laughs>professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT is awesome and believes that the smarter the home, the safer the security. I can't wait to see what they do next. They're going to put Google Nest doorbells on the moon. <laughs> da -da. Actually, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with our Google Nest doorbell. I do love how when we're out at dinner, we can see exactly what's going on at the front door. And we can control our ADT smart devices like Lights, locks, the security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. Mm -hmm. All you have to say is, hey, Google, to get started. Well, I think it's great for people to help protect what matters most with all of this. Plus, 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. Hey, Google.